Good morning. Good morning. So we are now on episode 35 already. Yep. I can't believe we're on 35. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Uh, today is... Sorry, I'm cold. <laughs> it's still cold. <laughs> today Yeah, the is... fire is on, but... Oh, it's the crackling in the background. Um, is business models. Um, right. So... Mm. <laughs> no, really interesting. No, so the different, different ways into business... Um, if you're just starting out, what kind of model you should go for, but also for those that want to expand, um, yeah. you know, how should you expand your business beyond you? And there's loads of different directions that you can kind of take that. Well, I suppose also it's quite relevant at the moment because there will be people that are having massive changes in the way they do things, right? So it exactly. might be that people are um, be, have been made redundant, yeah. and so they got some cash and they're determining, right? Do I should I buy a business should i buy a franchise should i buy a business in the box should i buy a percentage percentage <laughs> of a business um my mate's got a business and he said that he could do some investment and he'd give me some shares yeah when you actually go into business and structures uh, there's very little to teach you in terms of very there's very few places you can go where people go okay yeah this is the risk of this this is what you should do and you're right if you've got an existing business so well what's what strategy should you have expand it because that's what we had structure right yeah because that was what we were trying to do with smiley booth before we franchised weren't we 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 wanted to have like satellite teams everywhere across the country because we were trying to cover the whole country from Bournemouth, which yeah. for those of you that don't know the UK is the very as south as you can get. Yeah, basically half <laughs> our customer base were in the sea. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that was really difficult to try and cover the whole country from the southernmost point. So, um, uh, we looked at these satellite teams, but that didn't really work for us. And then that's when we kind of went down the franchising route because that works a lot better. And also, when you start looking at business structure and the benefits and the, and and how that might apply to the, the framework that you've created for yourself in your business, it's a really dry, blooming topic. Mm-hmm. And you either get you either get two pieces, two opposite, sorry, two opposing pieces of information. One by a bunch of sycophants that say, right, okay, this is the perfect way to do mm-hmm. something, who are effectively trying to sell you their widget. Yeah. Or you get the academic yeah. process, which obviously puts everybody off. Well, that's why I wanted to cover it, because you will get told, oh, you should buy a, you know, you should go into network marketing and buy a, a network marketing product, because that's the easiest way. Or so that's an MLM, this, right? Yeah, multi-level marketing um, or, or network marketing. And, and that's why I want to do it, because you will get told, oh, this way is best, but that's because that person is trying to sell you something. Sell and the it's, widget, yeah. it's really personal to you um, yeah. in terms of your values, your personality as to which kind of model suits you better. Yeah, 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 definitely. The, the different structures are, are specifically designed to like, adapt to different personality types, yeah. different desires in business how much they want to be hands-on or how much or what strengths they feel yeah and, and, yeah cool exactly so yeah, yeah there's, there's there's lots there's actually loads out there which i really didn't realize i only had kind of like three in my head which is what we've right. already stated like network marketing business in a box and franchise model or four yeah. or kind of doing it yourself and then you got sole traders and then you got limited companies yeah. and the structures well I, yeah i wasn't really going to touch on the the structures so the much. legal structures right. um but the because obviously our listeners are all in different countries as well because we, we would only really know about england True. um but yeah. um but but yeah there's there's loads of loads and loads of different models which have, some of which have kind of really popped up 
recently. Right. Okay. And that it's an important distinction to make between model and strategy. Right. Okay. Because um, I saw like a blog referring to business models like the freemium model. Right. Yeah. To yeah. me, that's not a model. That's a that's strategy. That's a marketing strategy. That's a way to market for yeah. your product. Yeah. Um, same with like rental. That's a way you're going to make money within your your yeah, business. Yeah. It's not it's not the model as such. So yeah, it's you, funny how people get the two mixed up. Yeah, well, you used the word framework earlier. Yeah. And model very much is the framework. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and they do cross over a bit as well. And you you can you can have one kind of sector or or thing as it yeah. were, like being a teacher, and go down different models with it. So yeah. it might be that you go down the membership model yeah or you go down the the consulting model which is one-to-one so so different things lend themselves to different um models but you can have more than one in in one sector yeah and it's really it's really important if you are starting business or even if you're in business right now and you've never really identified your 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 structure that model it's really important to have some kind of awareness as to what that is because it entirely informs the capacity of that framework, that model, to deliver on what you aspire it to deliver yeah. to, right? Some people work within a specific model and, and they want it to be somewhere else, something else. Yeah. It's like, oh, they, they like the idea of an MLM and they try and make their current structure model turn into an MLM. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're not an MLM. Yeah. And how many times do we speak to people who might be like a sole trader? So they're literally just a single owner, entrepreneur or they might just have a couple of staff and they often turn around and say I want to be a franchise yeah and so well the framework you're working from is not a franchise framework no that's it's that's an entirely different structure well and if it's a very simple business model then it's more of a business in a box isn't it if it's something that can just be packaged up job done sold for a certain amount of money doesn't need a lot of hand holding then it's, a, it's more of a business in a box than a franchise. Possibly, but for those so, that are listening and watching, they're like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> How does the franchise work from a sole trader to a business box? Well, we'll, so, we'll come back to yeah, franchising we'll to... and business in a box at the, um, kind of towards the second half because I want to go through the, the main models. And these are very much kind of my interpretation because, as I say, when I've, I've done a couple, a couple of bits of research, there's lists out there with 25 business models right. or the three main business models. You know, it, so it, everyone kind of has a different take on it. So this, okay. This is, Kate's take on it. Yeah, so <laughs> this, this is, so I suppose the way we should approach this, because I didn't know this is what we were going to do, as always, yeah. Yeah. I very rarely know what we're going to talk about until about five minutes before we talk about it. <laughs> so I suppose the way we're going to do it is you'll say the model and we'll try and flavour it with some of our experience or understanding as to what that is to help our listeners or viewers yeah. kind of understand it yeah. in the lens that we see it yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely because um, we won't necessarily have done all of these models we've just we've done a fair few of them. <laughs> okay all right then <laughs> well we have done like eight businesses between us now yeah, true. Uh, so okay. we, there is quite a lot that we we have done um and um and if not we know people that have but yeah. also from the lens of 2020 as well yeah. for me as you said like lots of people kind of either starting again or having to adjust their own businesses because um you mentioned someone to me the other day that um, that their business or their sector, sorry, isn't doing very well. Right. Um, so a couple of their employees, um, they've become franchisees. And that person has yes. suddenly had to go into the world of franchising yeah. and didn't know where to start and is, is getting pulled into 
spending thousands of pounds on this legal Huge contract, sums all of money. stuff that you yeah. you don't need to do. Yeah. Um. So it's important that people know that because if you are pivoting and either creating a business in a box or a franchise or or whatever it is, or a subscription model, yeah. or a membership model. You know, you, you don't want to go down roads where you think, oh, I, I need to tick this box and get yeah. charged a fortune for it. So. Well, and I suppose that's the other important point, is that the um, it costs a lot of money to get, like, if, if you want to do things properly, to get the right model set up for whatever it is, whatever widget you're trying to sell, yeah. right? So... Because a lot of people think that, oh, it's just a case of just find the product or the service that I really enjoy doing and let's just go out there and yeah. sell it. But it, it only you only can deal with customers and scaling that business within a particular framework and mm -hmm. it costs money and time to get that framework correct. Yeah. And yeah, you're right with the franchising stuff and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Before that individual started, they had no idea of the legal costs and the... the implications of starting down the road of yeah. franchising their business and it's it quickly turned into five figure spends yeah. on legal fees and everything else exactly yeah. which wasn't necessarily needed no exactly no. so um okay so the six i have and in no particular order <laughs> yeah yeah give up with orders as anybody that's listened to previous episodes or watched kate can't seem to kate count to ten no yeah or you just get yeah or there's these like dead air moments so it's like jesus where's my list okay so the the kind of lone wolf model um right. which is the the one-to-one -one. and and that doesn't okay. lit don't take that entirely literally it doesn't mean that you could you're only selling to one person it can right. be a product-based business that has obviously lots of customers but they tend to buy one thing at a time right. you know um or a service-based model where you're servicing one customer so time. like a hairdresser or a, yeah um or, or or you know something that you make and sell like, um, you bake cakes yeah um and just um, to keep throwing randoms at you teaching um, yeah, any, any okay. kind of tuition consulting uh something like personal training yeah um and also the gig economy which is um the what? gig economy so right. freelancer you know you get gig and you, you do oh that. i see um events-based businesses again the, the kind of gig economy so that's very much your your kind of lone wolf tends to be one person on their own it tends to be uh trading time for money yeah a lot of it's not as it tends not to be rely very much on systems yeah. to deliver the services. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, exactly. Sole traders in the UK is what that's predominantly defined yeah. as. Yeah, um, here in France they call them um, micro-entrepreneurs, right. I think. Um, I don't know what the term is in America, but yeah, it's it's kind of small, single businesses that tend to service on a one-to-one -one basis. And that's how most people start in business, yeah. right? If whatever it is, whatever widget they're either creating or whatever service they're delivering, that's how most people begin yeah but just as um just as a word of caution uh, and this is certainly the case in the us and in the uk it's the most expensive tax-wise way to do business mm -hmm. right so um if you if you haven't yet and you've listened to previous episodes and you've um and you still haven't picked up rich dad poor dad mm -hmm. what he what he talks about in that is the most expensive way to exist on the planet or certainly in the Western culture, is being employed. Mm -hmm. You will be penalised the most mm -hmm. and paid the least. This, the second most is being self-employed, but as a sole trader, yeah. effectively. Um, because the way it works is every penny that you bring into the business your is considered like a salary to you. You, yeah. can, you can put your expenses again, but whatever's left 
is your salary. You, the business, the business in itself doesn't accrue any cash for itself. And it's important to have an end game on that on that basis in terms of where you think you're going. It's fine to change that. Um, you know, by all means, for example, here in France, right. um, if you set up a, a micro business or an auto entrepreneur, they call it, um, you're you don't you can't claim any expenses back. Yeah. But it's like nothing to set up. Yeah. So if you're tr- playing with an idea, yeah, then that's the way you go. But if you if you've got uh, plans to go further than that, you might be put off by the fact that the um, company set up cost a couple of grand yeah whereas in the uk it costs like 20 quid to buy it online you can do it you can literally do it in a few minutes yeah. online yeah it's but the long company. term in france for the company is better because you're claiming back all your expenses yeah so it's give give and take so you do you have to kind of try and look to the future as to where you're going to go rather than just right now yeah you should definitely plan because you don't start any business to not make money no. right the whole purpose is right okay you've got you're going to make some profits at some point and Solving issues and starting right at the beginning is is really important, isn't yeah. it? And so getting some advice in terms of what the best appropriate, what the most appropriate tax process should be for you is definitely yeah. you know, having a tame accountant that would yeah. do that. By the sole mean- trader is definitely up. The sole trader and partnership, by the way, they're the, in yeah. the UK um, are the most expensive ways to do tax to be definitely test the market first and see where you're going with it. But if you are serious about it, then then do get serious quickly. In terms of your- yeah, well, there's also a liability aspect. Yeah. Um, if you're a single, what did you call the term? What did you call solopreneur? Yeah. Okay, so or sole trader in, or in sole trader UK, or yeah. whatever it is. Um, there's a liability aspect. So, um, the one of the issues with being in that is you are the business, mm-hmm. right? So everything that you under everything every time somebody comes into contact with you, to, to, it is you. There's no distinction between the business and you. It's mm-hmm. not The business is not a separate entity. It's just, the business is just the work you do. That is probably the simplest way. Yeah. Whereas if you have formed a company that is, that is a, a living, breathing entity in of itself. Yeah. And you are just simply employed by the company to deliver its work. Yeah. yeah, whatever role you've determined is appropriate for, and it might be that you do all the roles. Yeah. In a company, because the company has no money. Yeah. Uh, to invest in staff, so, but fundamentally, the liability then lies with the company and not necessarily you directly. Yeah, and within a framework of twenty twenty as well, I know none of us could have ever predicted something like this. Mm. Um, but do kind of investigate what's may be available to you for help if, if anything like this which should happen again. Mm-hmm. Because company directors, although you're right, companies that is the best way to go in lots of ways, company directors that are similar to us, which are kind of owner-operated, we're, yeah. still, we're still very much in the kind of thick of things, yeah. don't have tons of staff, are the ones that have been left out in the cold because in terms of a lot of the help that's been available. Y- yes, definitely. So, um, but... It, 2020 is an unusual one. Right? No, I know. I'm it's, just saying, uh, if you but do now that we all have this framework in our mind of 2020, like anything yeah. could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, do investigate what could possibly yeah. happen. Look at look at the um, ifs and the buts and the, the yeah. kind of the small details. I mean, the the benefits of creating a company as opposed to being a solopreneur or or a sole trader or whatever you define that thing as, by setting up a company is it because it becomes a thing of itself. The great, the great thing about it is it's in the eyes of kind of the law and in banking and everything else, 
It's a living, breathing thing. Mm. So it can create its own credit rating. It can mm-hmm. create its own like history whereby banks and investors and external parties will judge it rather than you. Mm-hmm. And so that means that it, you can effectively steer the ship of this company, if you like, and um, agree for it to take on certain liabilities, that which might be investment or loans or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Um, but it doesn't necessarily affect you as an individual. Yeah. Whereas if, it, if you are a solopreneur or sole trader, you're, um, everything is you. Mm-hmm. And so subsequently investors or, um, and banks are, will scrutinise you way more heavily. And the, and the risk is higher. But because things in- can fall over because you're a human being. Whereas a company, you can put other people in the company. Yeah. You can't put, you can't automate a human being. Yeah. Right? So. But bear in mind, as a company director, you you know you can lose your license as a way or permission to be a company director. Yeah. If you abuse you, the role, yeah, yeah, you can, um, yeah, you can get banned from being a company yeah. director. So it's very important that you're, yeah, that you abide by. There, it, there's. There's definitely layers and complexities, but if you're starting out and you're wondering, okay, or even, I mean, we've got friends that have been in business for donkey's years who have stayed as sole traders um, and who make really good money. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, wasn't there, I'm sure there's some famous company that was literally, that grew into a billion pound company. It It just was a private entity owned by, anyway, whatever the point is that, the individuals that I've known that have stayed with sole trade or partnership in that solopreneur space, it has caused them problems when they've wanted to do things and when as the business has scaled. But it, again, it depends on your on you and your ambitions. Because mm. if, if you're not wanting to scale drastically or anything like that, that might be very suitable for you. If you know your industry inside out and you just want to kind of tick along. Yeah. Then so then you don't need the complications of a of a limited company. Yeah, or company it's all structure. very personal. It is, but yeah, if so. you if you all all you want to do is be a chimney sweep. Yeah, just for argument's sake. Yeah, and you you're just happy to deal with hundred clients a year. Yeah, a couple of people a week, mm-hmm. and and it makes okay money, and that's all you want to do. Then maybe yeah, solopreneur is is. It's no point in automation. You don't want staff. You don't want any. Well, like even that. if you do want staff, you can still do that. Do that, staff. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't need to. You, you don't need to go down these these roads if you don't want to. As I say, that's why it's personal. But just just do look at it. Look at the detail um, from mm. the outset. Because yeah. you and I have, have always kind of been laying the tracks in front of the train and gone. Yeah. Oh, what should we do? And throw it. In. Yeah, and that's the most expensive way. Yeah. To do anything because yeah. everything's urgent. Yeah, and I think that was for us because. In the very early days, Smiley Booth kind of we didn't expect it to do to be what it was. It was a hobby business. We had our careers, and yeah, it kind of took it, yeah. us by surprise. And that's that's why we always ended up laying the tracks in front of the train because yeah. this train kept coming no matter what we did. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we just had to keep responding. But kind of given my time again or hindsight or whatever, whatever mm. you want to look at it, I would have. I and that's what we're doing now. I would have made kind of clear decisions early on. Yeah. Well, it's now what we do yes. when we deal with business. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's that one. Uh, network marketer 
is multi-level marketing that we mentioned, but also affiliate marketing comes under that banner. Okay. So it's when you're selling someone else's product right. um, for either a, a commission or a cut, right. or, um, or, you, or is the case with most multi-level marketing, you, you buy the product first and then you're, you're selling it on. Right, okay. Um, and the only difference with multi-level marketing models is you tend to have what's called an upline and a downline. Right. So you, you're recruiting people in to the model, okay. um, and then you take a percentage of what they make. Right, okay. Um, and you have to be really careful with multi-level marketing because um, it's sometimes referred to as pyramid selling. And the the rep, reputable, I never know how to say that word. Reputable. Reputable companies out there, they're not pyramid schemes. Yeah. Um, it's just that's, that's the way the system works, that you're taking a percentage from the people beneath you as well as your own sales. Right. Um, now, if you're looking at the world of multi-level marketing, there's um, there's lots of ways that you can uh, kind of assess how um, legit a company is. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them is that they are focused on their product or their service and not just in you bringing in more people, bringing yeah, in more yeah, people. Yeah. So if, if you are kind of, if the pressure or the sales material or whatever it is, is very much on building your downline, then I would say stay clear. Um, because downline being recruiting more people yes they're the ones so because there's a lot of reasons why people do multi-level marketing because it gets a bit of a bad rap but if you look at it from so if you want to earn a little bit of extra cash and you have no business experience whatsoever or maybe not the time in some degrees it makes it it, the, the actual headlines make a lot of sense in that you well, don't have I, to work. can i just add to the third one to that also if you're just really passionate about that product yes if you yeah. if you like it and you buy it and you talk about it all the time well, anyway why not yeah. earn some money from it exactly because <laughs> and then what you think well hang on a second i don't need to produce the product mm. right i don't i need, need to, I, need, I don't need to worry about manufacturing yeah. i don't need to worry about delivery i don't need to worry mm. about quality control i don't need to worry about marketing i don't need to worry about administrative aspects like some of the stuff we've talked about in previous episodes about make sure that your merchant services like your car payment process i don't need to worry about don't need to worry about any of it it's literally just they give you all the marketing materials exactly branding everything yeah you you are just literally you're effectively a, a salesperson an employed salesperson for that company um, with none of the employee benefits. Yeah. If effectively, and and they dress it up as like right, okay, you are now a business owner. It's like and, you're you're on commission only type role. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. So and that's and that's the way you should think about it. You should definitely be thinking about it along the lines of okay, I'm basically working for this company to sell their stuff, mm-hmm. and the, and the commissions are quite interesting the way yeah. they're structured. The the other thing to caution you on now on on multi level marketing um, is. No, is not just the recruitment uh, below and all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, how many widgets do you actually have to sell to actually make make the time investment by you worth it? Yeah. And when you first look at it, you, they make it sound easy. Now, we were approached by a company. God, it's got to be 17 years ago now. 16, 17 years ago, I think it was. But that one was one of the scammy ones. Yeah, right? <laughs> but it was our first proper... Yeah. Um, introduction. And yeah, it was way, way before Smiley Booth or anything, wasn't it? Yeah, and a lot of the ways that you find out about multi-level marketing is not necessarily because you've gone online or anything. It's normally because you'll have a friend or a relative who kind of introduces you to it, or a friend of a friend, and they'll say, it's a bit culty. Mm. It's a bit kind of like, oh, I've got this secret, that, yeah. like this, this little clan that I'm part of. 
And so what ends up happening is you get you get invited by a, normally somebody that you either trust or somebody else has invited you, whatever. And you go to a meeting of sorts, some kind of presentation, and that's what happened to us. And this is very this is a very common marketing strategy by most MLMs, isn't it? And you go to some kind of meeting, and then there'll be somebody there, and they'll be doing a presentation. And normally, you're like twenty five to fifty percent of the room are people like you who have just kind of found themselves in this meeting <laughs> without realizing, and the other fifty percent of the room will be existing MLM people, advocates, who have brought these people along, right? So, and it's a, it's a strange environment because you've got the seller at the front and then you've got this slightly confused group of people <laughs> and then you've got this over-enthusiastic group of people. So your messaging that you're getting while you're in that meeting is a little bit strange. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's very biased towards sign up and any mm -hmm. positives, there's no um, negative stance. There's no yeah. kind of like critical thinking going yeah. on. It's all about, right, this is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and look, yeah. and success stories and all this kind of stuff. And you have to be very, very careful because, and you have to take, because they want you to sign up there and then. Yeah. And they apply quite a lot of pressure. And that's not to say it doesn't work for everybody, but one of the things that we noticed with this one that was particularly scammy, and we've only really gone into it once, mm. right? And that was it. And then we kind of learned our lesson. Yeah. But when we came away, well, when we came away, they hounded us. Like yeah. the, the the main guy came to our home, pulled up pulled up in his Aston Martin yeah. outside our house, came in for a cuppa and said, "Look, I just want to talk to you guys because I think you guys would be great as part of our thing. So, what, uh, why don't you want to? Should we start to get you signed up today?" And I was like, "No." He said, "Well, why don't you want to do it today?" And, and what they were selling was a course. Like they were like, if you can't, they made it out. No, to no, that was only if you if you struggle. If you yeah. struggled, if you couldn't struggle, if, if you, you couldn't, couldn't sell it, it then, then you could buy these courses and they would train you up. And that set off alarm bells because it was basically selling things like instead of buying Colgate toothpaste, buy their toothpaste. Yeah. And when your family buy toothpaste, get them to buy yours instead of Colgate. It it's all, all exactly the same. It was all um, just houseware stuff, wasn't it? Cleaning products. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was like, and I couldn't get it because I was like, I was scratching my head thinking, well, why is it hard? Yeah. You know, if everyone's making money, why is it hard to switch from a Colgate brand to your brand? If, if everyone's making money out of the deal, why would I need? And then the penny dropped. And I, and I said to him, I say, my concern is that this isn't e as e the model isn't in the selling of the products. Your model is actually selling us training courses. Mm -hmm. That's what you actually want us to do. You want us to get on board and then we just keep buying courses off you. And he got quite angry about it. Yeah. And he was like, and we were in our early 20s. Yeah, he was like, listen to your elders. <laughs> he basically said that, right? And and that's what you've got to be careful of. We basically told him to go take a hike. But that's what you've got to be careful of. It's like, what is the real business model for the MLM? But right? that, that was a real obvious one anyway I mean I remember sitting in the presentation and they literally had the pyramid on the screen mm. with the person at the top and then all the other people and the person at the top in his ass yeah line. exactly yeah. and and as you say he was really pushy um so it, it, anybody that I know that does well in MLM um are really genuinely excited about the product use it a load themselves yeah. and they never pressure anybody I mean mm -hmm. I've I've had a couple of people come to me and obviously because we're in business and stuff and say, oh, you'd be really good. Have you ever thought about selling? And, then, and I'm like, no, nah, it's not really my thing. Yeah. Or I've got too much going on or whatever. And they're like, okay, 
Yeah, they don't, don't hound you. Uh, yeah. Whereas I've got, have had this other lady recently, um, somebody I don't know, she's just she's a Facebook friend from something somewhere. Right. I don't know her very well at all. She's in the States. Um, I think I was going to do some work, marketing work for her a long time ago and right. nothing came of it. But she's been selling something to do with um, Bitcoin. It's something to do with, a, not it wasn't Bitcoin, something to do with a cryptocurrency. I don't right. know what. And, and she's been, she keeps posting these pictures all over her Facebook of all the money she keeps making and she keeps messaging me. And I've said I'm not really interested. And she's like, it, it, I just want to share this with people. You know, I don't get anything for bringing people in. And I'm like, so why do you keep trying so hard with someone yeah, you don't yeah, even yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, so you do have, it's quite obvious when they're not genuine, really. Yeah, and you've got to think, so there are a lot of businesses out there that actually run on two different, they have, they have what you think is a core business activity, and then there's the real business activity that goes on behind the, like, behind the scenes. Like McDonald's is a great example of that, right? Yeah. A lot of people think, well, McDonald's is about selling burgers. It's not. It's a landowner, landowner. It's one of the biggest landowners on the planet, right? Yeah. So that's its that's one of its core activities yeah. that trumps like selling burgers. It's like land acquisition is one of its and and the rentals that come from that yeah. is is one of its main drivers. And that was the thing that we, you notice with some MLMs is what's its core business activity? They're telling you it's all about selling this amazing vitamin or this amazing hair product or whatever it is, but if you look at it really with a lot of scrutiny, where where do you think they're really making the money? Is it they're really making the money out of selling training courses to those to that group? Whereas, uh, well, why do they have to sell so many bloody training courses? Mm. Is it really that they're making money out of the recruitment process and then subsequent, like you said, subsequently your whole life actually isn't in selling the widget. It's actually about trying to get lots of other people like you yeah. to buy in. And that's the danger with them. And that's why they have such a bad rap, yes. isn't it? Um, because they're not they're not all bad as I say we, we know people that do very well out of them but the only other caution I would say is um, and the same with affiliate marketing is you you need to be comfortable with sales yeah um, yeah it fits sales people yeah if you're not and not just a salesperson but if you're not a bubbly talk to people all the time kind of person yeah. you're not going to get anywhere and because... be prepared to be selling to your friends yeah, and family exactly. all the time exactly. that's that's one of the other challenges with MLMs is that you're basically relying on the goodwill of friends and family. Not the goodwill, because as I say, if you genuinely like the product, yeah, um, and it's a genuinely good product, because like take my cousin for example. I mean, she yeah, she true. runs a multi-billion pound a dollar multi-billion multi-million nice. dollar business. Um, yet she she does Arbonne on the side, and yeah, it's got nothing because she loves it. Because she loves it. It's got yeah. nothing to do with like pushing it to anyone or desperate to earn some extra cash. She yeah. just really likes the product. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, and she does well with it. So. Well, again, because it's a really easy... If you get the right one, yeah. it's a super easy thing to enter into as a as a side hustle type yeah. activity. And if you find that you're absolutely nailing it, then, then you could make it potentially a full-time hustle. And we do know people that have done that. Yeah. We know people, like, not just that we've heard of, we, we know people that have been given... Brand new Mercedes yep. and and I stuff. I know husband like that. and wife team that got matching Mercedes recently. There we go, right? So we know, we we actually know people like that. They're not made up stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you might find it, but just do your research, do your reviews, like ch- checking on Google and get people. Don't always go for the headline stories. Look at right, okay. Well, what are the, what is the average person getting yeah. out of this? 
um, and then go from there. And, and what suits you as well, say with affiliate marketing, you know, uh, the difference with affiliate marketing is that you're not really going to be just selling one person's product, although I suppose with MLM you could have more than one anyway if you wanted to, but affiliate, you, you're going to be selling lots of different things. Yeah. So um, with affiliates, it's more, I would say it's more your niche. So okay. say that you're a personal trainer, for example, um, you get your, your money doing your, your one-to-one lessons, mm-hmm. but you also sell equipment or um you know vitamins or yeah. um i don't know a, a certain brand like um uh beach body was a i guess it's classed as a franchise um, yeah i don't know it's a franchise model but you would be a, a beach body trainer yeah. or you would license something like um what's that trampoline one that came out recently the little mini trampolines yeah that's right. um yeah something can't think of the name of it in the uk but that you you bought a license to yeah. use their way of doing things well in, fit, in the fitness industry licensing yeah is is really has been around for decades yeah. and that's a yeah it's um it's, it's not quite affiliate because you are literally it's a like a franchise it's closer to a franchise or model a business than in a, a box yeah. yeah but the um but the, the the thing with affiliate marketing is and we've we've touched on this in a previous episode is the way you've got to think about uh, so mlm is you're an employee. You're effectively an employee without any of the benefits. It's just a really interesting bonus structure. That's it, mm-hmm. right? There's no holiday pay, sick pay, yeah. anything like that, pension yeah. or anything like that. It's just look, sell these widgets, and we reward you quite nicely if you do quite well out of it. Yeah. Um, affiliate marketing often gets lumped in with MLMs yeah. because people think, oh, it's just you're selling widgets for somebody. And then there are similarities in that you don't have to worry about the product manufacturer. You don't have to worry about like delivery or anything like this, you are just literally selling their thing on behalf. So you are in a situation where you're um, just selling their stuff. You're a, you're a salesperson without any of the employee benefits. The difficulty, with the, I'd say the bigger challenge with affiliate marketing is you have to have an audience yes. or build an audience yeah. to actually push that product. Whereas you don't necessarily have to have that with an MLM. Because they build their own audiences. Yeah, they build their own audience, they do a lot of their marketing and all this kind of stuff, and you're just basically knocking on the door of your mum, dad, brother, sister, or whoever, and say, look, there's these guys, do you want to buy their stuff? Whereas affiliate marketing is like, you need to have all the relevant assets. You need to buyer as to what it is, really. Yeah, so you either have cultivated an audience yourself in that niche. So I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine yesterday who's been given the opportunity to sell a particular widget in his industry that's targeted to his industry and this company that's built this widget has come to him and said, do you want to sell that for me? Now, they've gone to him because he's positioning in the industry because they know that if he gives it the thumbs up, mm. then his audience will like that and then they'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's industry specific. Yeah. Um, if you're starting from zero, affiliate marketing is really hard because you've got to have you you've got to build that audience either yeah. through social media or websites or so yeah so they're very different things yeah and they and yeah they have a lot of different but, yeah but they're this oh and this, the money you get can be a lot smaller can um, be but also can be a, a huge and and especially if you're doing like service based or software based um affiliates that's oh, yeah. where the, the larger money is because i mean the the ClickFunnels model with uh, Russell Brunson. I mean, it, those guys make a lot. Yeah, the yeah. top ones that, that. Well, funny enough, the guy that was just mentioned 
he's talking about getting several hundred dollars per sale. Yes, so, yeah, exactly. It's your, and some yeah, of it's right. recurring. Yeah, his is. Yeah, yeah, per sale per month. Yeah. So yeah, you you don't you only need a few people signed up and and uh, and again, if you're listening to this from a, a employer or or sorry a business owner already perspective, that's a really interesting model to expand with as well. Oh, what to introduce into your own? Yeah. 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 And there's there's um lots of software because we looked at this a little while ago. Um, can't remember for what business now. Do you remember when we started looking at it? Yeah, well, you there it wasn't was. Wasn't for Smiley Boob, I don't think. Was it? No, it wasn't. Um, it was. But yeah, I think we were just looking at different channels, and we found there are, there are websites where you would literally say if you've got a business at the moment and you just you want to do you want to sell more product, but you can't afford to employ a sales team, but you're prepared to give away a percentage because it's basically it's basically like paying someone commission yeah. only, and you and you but you're prepared to pay say twenty percent of the value of that product in commission mm -hmm. just for argument's sake you can you, there are websites where you can list your products or your service software or whatever it is yeah. and uh and the affiliate marketers will go to that and they'll literally go down that and say oh yeah i fancy selling that and they'll but go there's also platforms that what i meant was um there is that but there's also platforms that will handle the whole thing for you so Building an affiliate oh, marketing yeah, yeah. scheme is really complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, this person bought Joe Blogs in and Joe Blogs bought this, so what percentage does he get? It's quite difficult. Yeah. But there are platforms that will do all that do, for you. Yeah, they'll take you right from beginning to end. Yeah, you so, plug it into your website and it, it does yeah, it all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so there's no it seems quite daunting from a so from a from a salesperson, like if you are a startup and you're wondering what I could do and affiliate cats come to join us. <laughs> And affiliate marketing is something that you think you can do. Make sure you've either got an audience or you're capable of building one before you go down that road. But if you're a business owner already and you want to use affiliate marketing as one of your channels, yeah, don't get, don't panic about um, building it, building the systems out because you're right, it's spot on. There's and it's there's websites specifically devoted to make that as easy as like put your product here and here's the link yeah. and done. Like and it's, it, it's quite an effective way of selling. I mean, you, you said that, um, uh, you know, oh, if you can't afford a salesman, it, it's not necessarily that, you know, if you just want an army of people talking about your product, yeah. you're trying to get out there in a, in a diverse way. And it doesn't really need a big kind of handholding approach yeah. as in that, that salesperson, you know, doesn't need to be walking the customer across the line too much. Yeah. Then the affiliate route can be brilliant. Yeah, and I'd yeah. say like because we're doing this in December of twenty twenty right now, and I would, I would suggest that uh, if you're a business owner and you're not tapping into affiliate marketing, it might be a really good time just to explore that because, yeah. as in having your product sold by affiliates, because there will be plenty of people looking to add income streams, yeah. and if your if your product matches an audience that they've already cultivated. And it's something new for them to put into the audience and the, the percentages are, look interesting to them, then yeah, that can open up a whole new channel to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, so it's similar kind of um, model is the broker agent kind of role. And it used to be that agents were very much kind of entertainment talent based, mm -hmm. you know, sports agents, entertainment agents, um, uh, literary agents, but now it's everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, Fiverr is a brokerage; it's an agency. You don't you don't think things like that. Etsy is another one. There's there are these big platforms. Sorry, the cat is about to jump on the camera. Sorry, when the camera wobbles. Can you stop her jumping on the camera? 
There's the camera. So the, if anybody watching this, so those hearing this will be thinking, what on earth is going on? Those watching it, they look like they've just been hit by a tidal wave on a ferry. It's because the cat just decided to jump up at the camera. Random. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Etsy is a brokerage because people list on their platform and they take a percentage from all the sales. Um, there, there's absolutely tons of them. There's... Um, uh, you know, uh, talent in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, developers, uh, coding, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for. There, there's agents for that nowadays. There's marketing agents, there's travel agents, or mm-hmm. there's always been travel agents. But yeah, there's there's so many agencies. And it, it can be a really good way, if you're a really good communicator, um, or if you've been in your industry for a long time, and you know, you know a lot of people, you've got not a lot of knowledge on your industry, being an agency or broker can be great because you're just basically pulling two people together and yeah, yeah, taking yeah. a piece. I mean, um, even when I did the procurement company, yeah. that was a, a brokerage of sorts because I was tasked with finding the product, taking yeah. the commission and passing it on to the person that had obviously booked me to do that. Yeah, and that can be... Yeah, you're right. That could, So, for example, that could work in the... if uh, Taking a, a thing that we're familiar with, which is the events industry as well. So, if you've cultivated a list... A relationship with a bunch of venues or marketing people and everything else, and and you know that they regularly have a requirement for DJs or whatever it might yeah. be. Absolutely, that's a that's you as an introducer, yeah. uh, stroke agent. That's that's massively valuable, in which you can take commissions yeah. for an introducer's fee or whatever it might be. Yeah, really important. Uh, and it's I think now it's even more important than ever because. Um, because the world is so online and everything's so spread, you kind of you want that middleman to find you the best talent or or, or introduce you to the right people. Well, it's tapping into trying... word of mouth, yeah, right. Exactly. It's so many people. It's so easy to go down the road all the time of um, paid ads on social media or yeah. or Google or whatever it is, and refine your website and all this kind of stuff. When it's like. It's that whole thing of we talked about the top one hundred. Yeah. If you had if you had one hundred people that you knew that could say who you are, who would they be? Yeah. You know, and how important that word of mouth is. Yeah. So what's to say that you couldn't be that for somebody else? Yes. And that there's there's not financial benefit to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the brokerage agent model. Um the subscription model is one that's really kind of exploded over the last um what, five, six years, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, receiving a and there's all sorts of things like subscriptions of flowers. You you yeah. would never think somebody could invent a flowers through your letterbox type yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also we actually talked about it years and years ago because you love yeah. getting flowers. Yeah. And but yeah, of course we never did anything better. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah there, there's all sorts of subscriptions. Some of the the good ones at the moment are you know kids based things. So um, once a month kids will get. There's always been like magazine subscriptions, yeah. but now they'll get you know something that they can make or um, some kind of science experiment yeah. or something like that. So if you can think of a subscription element to your business because i keep trying to get your sister to do this don't i with her candles because that would be a brilliant little subscription model um yeah if you can think of a subscription element to your business it's it's brilliant because there's quite a lot of work at the the beginning you know working out all the logistics and everything that you'd need to to make that work but once it's running it's just running (laughs) well the the great thing about subscription models so yeah any asset like because the the candles is a great example actually because a lot of people including her we go, well, how on earth would you make a subscription service out of candles or whatever it might be? Because you think, because we're all conditioned to think about subscriptions 
in a very specific way, right? So with software, it's yeah. like, well, of course you pay a monthly fee for software yeah. or, or music or whatever it is. So anything that's kind of publication based, we're very, we don't mind paying subscriptions for. But when it comes to physical things, we get, we, we kind of hesitate a bit. Yeah. I mean, there was a subscription service for socks. Yeah, there is. So it's you just get, yeah. So, yeah. so, and, and the, the great thing about subscription service for the end user is it takes the thinking out of it. Once they've done all that work to find you and love what you do, yeah. it's like, Take the hassle out of them having to do that again in yeah, two months, three months, six months. Yeah, keeps a customer. It's like um, episode, I can't remember which one it was, a few episodes ago when we talked about little life upgrades. Yeah. You know, if we could subscribe to all our favourite things, oh, yeah. we'd do it in a heartbeat. Uh, happy, yeah, yeah, happy to do that. And the like the candle one, coming back to that, that was, it's really easy to make that subscription service, right? You'd have different times of the year, would have, would match the seasons. Yeah. And so the... The, the candles themselves would match all of that. So yeah. clearly we're in Christmas time right now, yeah. so it'll all be those. The actual little wax refills, you'd yeah. have them sent to you each month or yeah. whatever it is. It's such an easy subscription model. Yeah. And when you actually look at it for a lot of product-based, like even like you could do this even for blessed hairdressers. Right, you might be thinking, well, how did that work? Yeah, I'm thinking, how does that work? <laughs> but you can include product. You can say, right, okay, you pay monthly fee and we guarantee that you get this amount of product oh, per yeah. month, okay. you get so many haircuts, you get so many... <laughs> I was thinking you were going to send them scissors in the post. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> no, but in terms of, the, the, like, there's loads of ways to make the services and product a subscription-based service. And, and what that means for you as a business is, one, it gives you predictable revenues, and two, it, um, it means that you can spend more on acquiring a customer. Yeah. So you can outspend your competitors, yeah. right? So for example, a if go back to the hairdresser analogy or any of these businesses, but let's go to the hairdresser analogy, right? Let's say it costs 20 quid for a haircut, okay? The guy, your competitor might charge exactly the same as you, 20 quid. So the one, th and he might have exactly the same overheads as you, right? But he's looking for one sale of 20 quid, but you might be looking at, of 12 sales of 10 quid, just for argument's sake, because you can get them on a 10 pound a month like scheme, right? Just for argument's sake, right? So already you're on 120 quid per customer, per here's 20 quid per customer. And then you think, well, okay, well, what would I be able to spend to get that customer across the door, right? Through the, through the door. Well, he can't spend more than 20 quid, right? In fact, he can't spend probably more than 10, because the moment he gets above 10, he's losing money, right? Yeah. Either or like, overheads, or it might be way less than that, right? You might not be able to spend more than five once his overhead's eaten into everything else. But you can spend 30 or 40 or whatever it is. You can spend more than double what he can spend on getting that customer to walk through the door. So the customer's experience from the get-go is always going to be higher with you than it is with them. Mm -hmm. Because he just can't spend the money. Yeah. And... And every time he has to reset the dial with that customer, right? So he spent, let's say he spent 10 quid to get a 20 quid sale in. He's got to spend that 10 quid again because he's got no subscription model in place. He's got nothing in place. He's got to spend that again in two months, three months or whenever it is yeah. in the hope that that guy might see it and might come back in. Whereas you know that you've got a dedicated individual that's paying you every month. who's thinking, oh yeah, look, 20 quid or 10 quid's just gone out of my account must get my hair cut this month or must yeah. get my, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. 
the subscription model can be applied to any sorts of businesses and and why we're not all doing it because that's how most of us function right financially well the the one that really opened my eyes to it was the delivering happiness uh book by um tony hey no it's not shay shay yeah i was gonna say we've always said it wrong of which who passed away last month yeah which yeah we'd spoke about him and then you literally it was the next like two day. days two days after he'd passed away we, was, that was we didn't nuts. know yeah um but yeah that, that and he was only young uh, well yeah it was a, it was a fire accident that's yeah. why it was very sad but um but yeah he delivered he worked out the the subscription model for shoes and if i would never have thought of shoes you know you think you have to go to shoes you have to yeah. try them on you know you, yeah. you need to even if you've got the right size it's still is it a comfortable fit or whatever? You know, when you go to a shoe shop, you normally try three or four pairs. Yeah. And he managed to turn that into a delivering service where yeah. people got to try them on and then send back what they didn't want. Um, you know, I thought that, that's just genius. So if, if you yeah. do it for shoes, you can do it for anything. Well, you can you can reduce... hanging from your face. Oh, that, nice, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, it's fluff. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, enjoy doing a podcast with your wife. <laughs> Uh, Shall I leave it there next time? Yeah, no, no, I'm glad you did. I glad you took it off because that would have been bad. Anyway, um, yeah, that, that when you when you start thinking about okay, well, let's say you, you can take a hit on a subscription model for his model, for example, Tony Shea. He it, it might cost him like fifty quid to acquire a customer, a hundred quid to acquire a customer, and that customer is only going to pay him twenty quid a month, just for argument's sake. We well, think, well, Jesus Christ. That's going to take five months before they even break even. But if if they remain a customer of him, if his average time that he keeps a customer for is 12 months, he's he's golden. Exactly, yeah. Right? Well, the moment he gets to month six, he's making money. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the advantage of subscription models, just generally. Yeah, absolutely. God, we need to do that more in our businesses. Well, we're doing it with Say It, aren't we? Yeah. Um, with our um, photo postcards for people. Yeah. Um, not quite sure how you can do it with Smiley Booth, but we can try. Have and, a guaranteed photo out. booth, yeah, <laughs> so many times a year yeah. or something. Well, we could probably do it with the virtual side of things, but yeah, we'll yeah. have a think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, uh, an aggregator sounds like a very. Um, okay, com- I'm going to be very quiet on this one. <laughs> very complex way, but basically, it's just um, accumulating lots of knowledge or um, expertise on something and then charging people for access to that is basically right. what it is. So membership models come under this banner. Um, uh, anything where, like the, the new, some newspapers do it now. Have you ever clicked on a newspaper article mm-hmm. recently and you can only read that little bit and then they yeah, won't charge you for it. Yeah, and then you got subscribed. Yeah. yeah, so they're started, because obviously the physical sales in newspapers are dropping, yeah. they've started to go to the kind of aggregator model uh, but yes, it's, it's a place where you would accumulate lots of knowledge, like um, a blog or something like that, but that you pay to, to look at it. Yeah. And newsletters are going that way as well. Really? Um, yeah, because people obviously sign up for newsletters willy-nilly, but they don't actually, a lot of the time they don't read them. Yeah. And um, the paid ones are kind of starting to come out because that's people that really want to read that material. Yeah, I mean, that's a really important point that the um, people... That was what was told to us years ago. It's when we were like, oh, should we give this away for free? Or should we do this? Mm. It's like um, webinars yeah, and, and things like that. And they were saying... Well, the pay uh, webinars are coming in as well. Well, this they? is it, yeah. right? So people were saying, um, people people advised us. They were like, no, you should charge for everything. Yeah. Because the, even if you're charging a fiver, 
yeah. like for access to something that's massive value for whatever it is that you were originally going to give away for free yeah. they will value it more the the, yeah. the person will commit to something more and they'll turn up and yeah and the, well webinars are a great the yes button and then not turn up yeah because they've spent that fiber yeah. it's like okay i've got to justify that yeah in some way exactly. but if it's free that the, the, the assumption on value isn't there yeah and, that, and i think that's come about um quite significantly in 2020 because everything has moved online yeah so these giant events things like inbound that we went to are being moved online but you, you've still got to pay even yeah. though you're still you're sat in your and you can pay a lot of money yeah you, yeah even though you're sat there in your front room yeah um and not part of the experience as it were you're still gleaning their knowledge and yeah. the keynote speakers and all of that kind of stuff that comes with it yeah i mean we had a big event i saw that we'd previously been to um that's quite expensive to go to and their virtual version was still north of a thousand pounds yes just to just to attend <laughs> effectively a glorified zoom call yeah um for a thousand pounds and but i suppose because of the knowledge yeah you know, it's, and the it's people not, that you're going to meet yeah. you know they they set up meetings these virtual events i've, I've been looking into the world of it because of, of smiley booth and some of them are incredibly complex yeah. and the technology involved to be able to you know, have all these like breakout rooms and multiple yeah. things going on is is quite mind boggling. Well, it's going to be interesting how that goes with VR. Yeah, that's like true. how that translates. Yeah, you yeah, can see. Really interesting, yeah. Yeah, you can see how that, that might. Um, I'm just going off on a tangent, but our, we have a VR service mm. equipped for say it that we've not launched yet that we will be launching next year, and um, where you literally get a VR headset yeah. sent to you in the post and make. We need to park that in because that would work really well for virtual events. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's um. There's definitely. You're making me paranoid about anything. There's nothing on your face anymore. Don't okay. Know cool. <laughs> um. And then the the last one is uh, software as a service, which is obviously what we do with Say It. Yeah. Um. But it's what loads and loads of business models. I mean, even a lot of the ones I've said are software as a service. You know, you you. Things like Fiverr and Etsy, they yeah. are brokers, but they're also a software as a service. Yeah. Um, any uh, apps are software as a service. It, it covers a whole multitude of, of stuff. Um, but it is a category in itself nowadays, because if you have an idea for something, just like we did with Say It, yeah. it's, it's quite likely that you're going to need to be creating some kind of software to facilitate that idea. Yeah. Unless you are literally physically making something yourself. And just coming from our own experience, right? So with building a software as a service it's an interesting it's an interesting route to go down so if you're in a business at the moment where you think oh wow i've got a customer like base here that would really really benefit from having this widget whatever it is a piece of software uh, and i need to get it built out when you first look at the when you look at it from the beginning the costs and complexities are really, really daunting. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you just can't get things off the ground without immediately stepping into five figures straight away. Mm -hmm. And then even when you're in five figures, the costs grow exponentially because the level of expertise you need to employ to get the simplest things done is, is quite challenging, right? Which we've learned with Say It. Mm -hmm. um, but all the costs are up front. Like, or a vast majority of the cost. Forget yeah. customer acquisition stuff. I mean, actually, in the, the the building of the business itself, they're all up front, so they're terrifying. But once you're over that hurdle, you suddenly have this thing that 
it's cost very little to mm-hmm. run, really, compared to how much it's set to cost up. Yeah. So, but it's massively scalable. You've yeah. got to think of it almost, the, the front end costs almost like manufacture. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you were back in the day manufacturing your own product, yeah. you, you needed a lot of cash up front to get that ball rolling. Yeah. But once it was built and made and patented and everything else, patented, patented, mm-hmm. um, then that, that was... Uh, that was, you know, job, not job done, but a, a large percentage of the yeah. hurdles overcome. Yeah. Which is the same with software. Yeah. If uh, not better, because you haven't got the ongoing logistics. Yeah, and we, and there's lots of different avenues for um, for software, but I I wish we'd built more software things, and I think we will do with Smiley Booth yeah. and things like that. Yeah. We yeah, will definitely. build. We, we will building a lot more bespoke, wholly owned software. Yes. Because. That when you, the although the costs seem prohibitive to begin with, when you actually look at buying in decent software, mm-hmm. like I mean, and I'm talking about industry software now. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about apps on your phone and yeah. stuff like that. I'm talking about stuff that is inherently complicated and specific to an, uh, to something. Um, it looks prohibitive to begin with, but when you look at all the licensing fees that you um, have to pay to other people. The fact that when somebody else owns software, they can sell it to all of your competitors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that the, the, your distinguishable factor is no longer that because yeah. anybody else has well, got that's, it. That's and... what I was going to say. If you're looking for um, to create your own software, then um, finding a software partner that is prepared to grow with you. Yeah. Because we've worked with some great software people over the years, um, but I could less than less than my hand I could count that were actually prepared to like think outside the box and do stuff with us yeah well because I'll especially with smiley booth yeah because in the world of photo booth hire and yeah. certainly well, in the world of events and certainly in photo booth hire smiley yeah. booth is very unusual in that it's a franchised business we're yeah, a collective exactly. of photo booth yeah, hire so, operators yeah. not just based in the UK but across Europe and it's so when I'm when a manufacturer or a software yeah. developer comes to Smiley Booth and says, I want to do this. Yeah. So like, yeah, but you're not just dealing with me and you. Yeah. You're dealing with a group. Yeah. And that's yeah. And that's something to bear in mind as well. If you if you're expanding your business and you're looking at the franchise model, um, make sure it kind of fits that because we've had um we've had to negotiate with lots of software people because they want to charge per user. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of us as users. Um but also if we come up with a way of tweaking something and doing something that that's the smiley booth way and we want it to be our way um most of the software partners we've we've worked with have either been a no that's not the way yeah. we do it or yeah we'll do that for you and then we'll roll it out to all our other customers exactly like, no 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 that was yeah. our way of doing yeah things. you become their idea machine yeah their, their innovator for yeah. their service which and you're effectively just armoring your competitors yeah um, so you have you have to hunt quite hard they are out there um but you yeah. have to hunt quite hard for I'm, I'm actually on the phone to somebody later this afternoon no tomorrow afternoon um that that we're building a relationship with um that is very much prepared to support smiley booth and do create software for our needs yeah um, and but building and owning your own software yeah that, that is industry specific that gives you a competitive edge is um like going through that ourselves and having say it is is wonderful yeah. it's been don't get me wrong it's not been without its headaches and expense but it's nice having it yeah absolutely um, and i think it's just finding just on a, a side note finding that piece of the puzzle that's missing because 
you and I were never very um, handy. So yeah. physically, when when we very first started Smiley Booth, physically building the booth was a huge challenge. Yeah. Um, and is where probably competitors caught up with us in a way because yeah, yeah. We, we found it hard to solve that challenge. And and the tech, we yeah. never really had a tame tech person yeah. within our team. Um, so, so finding... It, it, whatever model you go down, finding people to kind of complement your gaps yeah. is so important. Yeah, and it, but it's also you decide what where that goes. It's like, yeah. So Smiley Booth is the only photo booth hire company that gets access to say it. Yeah. As because yeah. uh, we have a wedding guest book service for a video wedding guest book service that say it provides, and um, it's a very unique service that say that say it's created. But yeah, to be able to say, right, Smiley Booth is the only photo booth hire yeah. company. And we put a post on that on the social media yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, just demonstrating that. And it's a distinguishable factor, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter who, what other photo booth companies come forward, they'll never get access to yeah. the service. And, and if you, nice. you do go into the world of software, it's it's a good place to be because you you can constantly innovate. Mm. Whereas if it's not something you're, you're used to, you buy in a piece of software you're all like, yay, we've got this, and then everyone else buys it. You're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it being like in those um, in those realms, you, you can keep innovating. Yeah. Uh, because you've got the the expertise on hand to do that. Yeah, and don't shy away from it, because anybody listening or, uh, or watching this right now will be thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, that sounds like a whole world of pain and complexity, and I haven't even considered software as part of my channels. But you should absolutely look at your own, if you're in business right now and you're looking at, okay, how... How can the future, what could we do that would really scale us out mm-hmm. and really add some value to our customers and create niches? And sometimes we're just so programmed to think about, well, maybe I can sell this widget and maybe I can just refine the manufacturer of this part or do this bit of my service. Yeah. But maybe, just maybe, you could have a software-based service that nobody else does in your yeah. industry that just just sharpens your messages and makes you just stand out that extra Yep. over everyone else and just by having that you mitigate your marketing expenses well it, it might be that you end up selling to your industry um yeah because in the in the photo booth world is it booth book that they're called um you know they, they needed a crm system for themselves develop something that was unique to the photo booth industry and now they sell it to all the photo booth people and yeah, um, yeah. so it might be that you develop something that you, you really need for your business and then it's like hmm, i could sell this to other people yeah. within my industry yeah just so, be careful in what way well they that's all they do now that's no i know but they obviously work for them is what i mean yeah. it, it, i'm just saying don't rule it out because it yeah. it can take you down a tangent that actually might be more profitable than what you were originally doing yeah yeah i I suppose the other reason why I said just be careful as well is because that industry is retracted massively. Yes. So yeah. their client base has effectively disappeared apart yeah. from like a handful of us that are yeah. left. So, um, yeah, I, I'm i a massive fan of compliment, like so adding software as a complementary aspect mm. of your thing. I yeah. think it's, I think, because you're, you're de-risking it in some way, shape, form. So they're the six business models. And then at the beginning we touched on, well, um, the, the kind of, models within those as in how you how you start or how you expand one of them was um network marketing which which is an expansion is more the kind of affiliate marketing mm-hmm. as a starting is more the kind of multi-level marketing if that's something that you feel confident that you could do because it as i say it does require a lot of sales skill um and then the other one is business in a box yeah so this is so a lot of people are buying a business in a box and don't realise that that's the terminology used for it, right? Yeah. So 
And business box is literally, is literally that it's the inst- you you are buying something off a shelf that has the instruction manual to take you from A to, like A to B about this is here's the widgets and then you might get some leaflets or you might get a website you might get like the product itself or whatever it is and how to make the product again how to market it and everything else but there is no responsibility to you yeah by the person that sells it so yeah. once you walk out the store or online store whatever it is with this widget in your hands the it, the success of that is entirely your own it's got nothing to do with that so i guess um licensing is very similar to that isn't it like we were saying in the fitness world because well, you're just licensing that thing to use it there's no requirement yeah. on you to do well that. no there can be can so licensing can dictate that you have to have sold to retain your license you oh, have okay. to have certain standards right okay um and they can they can evoke certain penalties as well if you're not doing certain things Business and box is none of that. It's oh, just okay. you might sign something to protect like their intellectual property and reputation, mm-hmm. but outside of that, there's no requirement on them for anything beyond that. Whether you sell one or whether you sell a hundred, yeah, or a thousand there's no or, monthly fees or anything like that. It's just not a, generally yeah. no, uh, and there's not normally an annual licensing fee. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no. Normally, it's literally you just buy it off the shelf and go. Yeah, and and the good thing about business boxes is that, um. Like most of the ideas are already fleshed out. Yeah. Like, and if you follow all everything um, to the letter, you generally will get some kind of result. It's normally for though your really micro type businesses, yes. business box. It's like a startup kit, isn't it? Really. Yeah, they're not. I've very rarely ever seen a business in a box that's really scalable. No. Like that could generate any like decent income yeah. it's like they generally tend to be here like for your kind of side hustles or yeah your micro i mean we saw a guy create one didn't we for uh, years and years ago dog walking. for dog walking yeah i think and i might be completely wrong in this but i think your sister bought one years ago when she went into the beauty industry for the nails no really i think so I yeah vaguely remember of her literally receiving a box with how to do it and examples and stuff yeah like and i mean on the flip side if you're already in business and um and you're trying to think of other ways to make money. A business in a box might be a really good way of, of doing that. Yeah. Uh, because you, if you could create, uh, if you're not worried about competition, for example, or let's say you're based in the south, like all your customer base is in the south of England, in the UK, right? That's the, and you never go north. You never go anywhere else. It's, it's like you're quite happy doing, like if you're, Chimney sweep, like I mentioned earlier, just for argument's sake, yeah. okay? And you absolutely nail your chimney sweep business. And you're thinking, well, how can I make more money? Well, one of the ways you can make more money is to create a business in a box. And the business box could just be right. This is how you start up a chimney sweep business. Yeah. This is how you get customers. This is, and, and, you, and you basically create a whole guide uh, of everything they need to know to market, to manage overheads to deliver the service everything mm-hmm. and, and provided that they follow those steps they can pretty much guarantee that they will make x amount per year yeah and then you can just sell that business in a box for whatever like a couple in of grand of ways, or whatever it's, it's just a course isn't it really it, essentially but, yeah. um, but you might have some marketing material i was gonna say it? but a lot of the time they have like maybe a website template thrown in that kind of stuff yeah but normally it's a big old manual it's like yeah. a franchise manual almost yeah. It's like a, it's a big old manual and, um, yeah, with some other widgets with it. And 
I've seen a lot of them sold for a couple of grand. Yeah. Like maybe five yeah. grand or whatever it is. And so yeah, if you're if you're location based business and and you have no aspirations to scale and you don't want to be hand holding because otherwise you could do that as a membership model really couldn't you yeah. but if you don't want to be or a franchise obviously but if you don't want to be kind of hand holding and and responsible to those people then yeah you just on. sell it and say like go get on with it yeah. good luck to you yeah and the other good thing about business in the box is that if, if you did decide for your business that you want to go down that road is you don't necessarily have to be territorial have territorial restrictions like yes. a franchise yeah, so true. with a franchise for example if we go back to the uk the franchise if we sold a franchise in kent then i couldn't sell another franchise in kent if that was our territory size just for yeah yeah i was gonna say it depends on the size on the size yeah i mean you could be just lots of franchises postal. are a lot smaller than ours that's the one disadvantage with ours is our we created a big territory to be quite large yeah so whereas a business box you could just say look there's no ter- it's just whoever succeeds mm-hmm. go for it and um and you could sell as many widgets as you like into into kent yeah so yeah business box are, are, are i think personally are a really good idea for somebody who has no idea about business um who wants to take the first steps and just needs a step-by-step guide yeah and it happens to be it's like you said about dog walking mm-hmm. i mean look some people might think well, why the hell would you buy a business in a box for dog walking but You've got to get customers yeah. and you've got to have a communication strategy. It's the same as any yeah. business. Yeah. Like the walking the dog is irrelevant. Yeah. Like the, but the acquisition of customers and customer management and accounts and all that kind of stuff, still a business. Yeah. And then the last one is obviously franchising. Yay. <laughs> Which we have a lot of experience in. Yes. So we've been franchising, we started franchising eight years ago. Was it when we first, 2012? Really, wasn't it? it was 2014 no 2012 wow yeah it was our when we first took on oh yes because we stopped and started didn't we because our our very first foray into franchising took us by surprise because it was somebody coming to us saying can i buy a franchise and we were like what now (laughs) we had no aspirations to franchise a business at the time at all no and so many people because of the way we had our branding done and everything else so many people from the outset like literally within a few months of starting were asking is this a franchise i've had that say it as well oh you have yeah i've had people say oh is this a franchise no (laughs) yeah it's so franchising was on our radar for months well years before we actually before 2012 um, but it was something that we always considered to be prohibitive, mm-hmm. as most people do. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated, expensive, and um, yeah, and quite daunting. And I will say for our American listeners that it is a Different more world. daunting prospect in America. There is a lot more red tape, um, a lot more insurance hurdles, and all sorts of things that you have to jump yeah. through. It's if, easier if want, in the UK. Yeah, if you want to set up your business as a franchise, if you want to be a franchisor, mm. um, then and you're in the states. It is more difficult than in the UK. Yeah. But providing, so we took, so franchising, so let's take the, so fr- let's take the both parts. So franchising, if you are somebody, for example, who maybe have been lucky enough to get some cash, maybe be made redundant or, and you're looking at buying a business and you think, okay, well, I want to buy a franchise um, and, and you're looking at franchises right now. There's a couple of things that we say to franchise candidates that come to us, and we say it to them right from the beginning. A franchise is not a license, it's not a money printing machine, mm-hmm. okay? So if you're going into buying a franchise, franchise thinking, okay, this is a guaranteed source of income, 
you're kidding yourself. You mm-hmm. walk away, right? And if, if a franchise is telling you that that's the case, they're lying to you, okay? Because that's not the case. It, it might be the case for your, like the biggest franchises on the, on the yeah. planet, but in general, that's not the case. What it is, though, is it's what we refer to as a time machine, yeah. right? So meaning that when you buy into a franchise, you get a couple of things. The first thing you get is a leap into the future, right? You get to start at, at the, the baseline of where the franchise always are or yeah. today. Yeah. So all their marketing skill, all of their customer delivery skill, all their Good equipment will. expertise, goodwill, all their relationships, all of that kind of stuff. So you get to start as that as your, your starting line, which in the world of a startup is huge, yeah. right? And, and you might be thinking, well, why the hell would I spend 20, 30, 40, 100 grand on a franchise? And some. And some, yeah. <laughs> well, I think McDonald's is a million. Or yeah, like the that, trampolining one is, is as well. The, um, you know, the indoor trampolining parks. Right. They're, they're knocking on the door of a million. Yeah, and you might be thinking, well, why the hell would I spend that much money on a franchise? But you've got to think, there's one, you're buying all the assets that are associated with that franchise in the first place to deliver the business as, as is described. But what you're also doing is you are jumping, you are bypassing way more spend over the net that you would be spending and way more headaches over the next five, seven, ten years by starting from a franchise position. Um, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is if you had the right franchise or they're invested in your success, right? So they will um, they will act in a mentor type fashion mm-hmm. where they will actively reach out to you. They'll actively give you feedback and try and coach you around how to go from zero to where you are, where you need to be rather. Um, but, <laughs> and this is what we've learned in franchising, but if you are going into this with the mindset, the, with a couple of mindsets, I hold, I, they're going to just kill your relationship with your franchise all from the get-go or they're going to basically push you into a, 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 just an unsuccessful place. So the first one is that, oh yeah, it's a franchise, but it's still my business. I get to do whatever I like. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing it. You're just helping me along because I've handed over a check. Mm-hmm. No, that's not a franchise. Yeah. It is not your business, right? Well, it is your business. But it, the, but the, the branding, yeah. the, the, the methods of work yeah. um, and, and delivery and everything else are for the franchisor to determine. Yeah. Because that's how they got to being a franchisor yeah, in the first exactly. place, right? Yeah. It's it's leaving your ego at the door. Oh, 100%. Because um I think some people make the mistake that oh, um you know, I want to be a super successful entrepreneur, so why would I want to buy a franchise and, and and be under somebody else's brand? But some of the most ex- um exceptional and um profitable entrepreneurs are multi-Costa owners, are multi-McDonald's owners, because they understand that the business model is there and built and branded. As you say, you're moving so much more forward. They're astute business owners, and they just just keep buying them. I mean, Costa, sorry, not Costco, very different company. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Costa, the coffee franchise, you can't buy a franchise now. They only sell within their own network. So there's only a handful of people that have got multiple, um, I want to say again, Costco, Costa um, franchises, because 
they're brilliant at what they do. Yeah. So so don't, as I say, it's leaving your kind of creative ego at the door and yeah. bringing your, your business hat. It, and, and that's exactly yeah. right. It's like what you bring to a franchise is your work ethic yeah. and your and the ability to and discipline to just implement the strategies as described yeah, yeah exactly right? and so where um if, if you're go if you're buying a franchise and you think oh i can make this my own and i can avoid using that system and i can avoid doing the processes as the franchisor has determined in on the lead up to purchase and in the training then you're nuts yeah. because that that will grow as a bone of contention over months and years yeah. and because you'll have this entrepreneurial kind of itch that you want to scratch yeah and the franchise will be saying this is not the way we do things here yeah and the franchise or generally most people that go into franchising in fact i think all oh, because i don't think you're allowed to franchise unless you've got x like amount of history mm-hmm. in a given trade first yeah have walked that journey that you're trying to walk. They've done it. They've gone down all the dead ends. Yes. And and we've certainly we certainly made that mistake as franchisors before mm-hmm. where we and we it's our responsibility yeah. at the end of the day. Well in the very early days I remember we used to look for people with like a creative flair. Yeah. Um because we thought oh oh great they'll bring some ideas to the table. Yeah, because it's the difference between ideas yeah. and Exactly. Yeah, yeah because any uh, franchisor worth their salt will welcome ideas, yeah. absolutely. But um but if they turn around and say to you, Oh yeah, we have looked at that but it didn't work for us for XYZ Yeah going off and then sulking about it yeah. is is not going to help because you know you just need to get on and go yeah i understand they've tried that so let's move on this this direction yeah so. well and cuz we we recruit we recruited based on trying to find people that were in the same position that we were in before we went into yeah. business which is taking people out of employment yeah or who have got very little business um, understanding yeah and then giving them that, yeah. and turning and and helping them grow as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, and and we also recruited fast in the early days, and I think that bit us in the backside because yeah. we weren't ex- as a franchisor. And if you're thinking about going to franchising, it's very easy to fall in love with your potential customer, right? Mm-hmm. Your potential franchisee because they're saying all the right things, and you're both passionate about the brand. You're like, this is going to be an amazing relationship. But with franchising, it's not a it's not like a business box where it's like, well, there you go, and we high five, we all love each other, and off you go, good luck. You're in a relationship with that person for two, three, four, five, or longer years. And, and you effectively... represent your brand as well. Yes, and you're, you're in a business relationship with those people. So they're effectively like your business partner, mm-hmm. and vice versa. As a franchisee, those people that you're eyeing up are going to be your business partners for the next yeah. few years. And people change a lot. Uh, and circumstances change. 2020 is a great example yeah. of that, right? Where there are stresses that are applied to people that are, are completely unknown mm. prior, prior to... Well, and, and I think the other thing that you were probably going to say is the other mentality is don't think that the franchisor is going to do everything for you. God, no. Is there, or, or tell you what to do. Um, yeah. You know, you're given the, the guidelines, etc., but that's your responsibility to manage that. They're not your boss. No. And I think... Yeah, franchisees sit between being an employee and being a complete 
on their own, like a lone wolf business owner. Yeah. And they're, they're this kind of hybrid of those two people, yeah. um, which sometimes can cause conflict within themselves. Yeah, because um, some so, people need a boss. Yes, right? Some exactly. people need somebody to say, okay, it's 9am on Monday, where are you? Yeah. And but and if you're in a if you're buying a franchise yeah. or thinking about it, and that's your mindset, and we talked about employee mindset and entrepreneur mindset yeah. the other day, and that's a, a framework that you're really familiar with, and you need someone telling you that you should not be in business, not just not buy a franchise, you shouldn't go into business. Yeah, they want you to solve your problems, and they need to be a, a problem solver themselves. Yeah, I think uh, just thinking about this as we've been talking, it's, it's just dawned on me, and it's the first time I've really ever made this connection. But I think a successful franchisee is closest to um, like a, a manager in, in an employee um, role yeah. because they, they adhere to the company policies, etc. They know that that's the way they want yeah. things to be done. They like being in whatever business that is. They, yeah. you know, they've chosen that career path, as it were. Yeah. But they've got all the self-responsibility to manage their own team and their own yeah. department or whatever it is. So I think that's probably the closest. If you aspire to be... Um, you know, quite high up in the, in the chain in a company, yeah. Then maybe buying a franchise is an alternative for you, yeah. Because it's a similar mindset, I would I would say. Yeah, it's the the responsibility piece. Yeah, is really important. And on from both sides of the table, whether you are a franchisor looking for franchisees or a franchisee looking to go into a franchise, mm. you it's really important that um. Sorry, our cats are fighting in the background <laughs> now, um. It's really important that they demonstrate self-discipline and a hunger to take on more responsibility yeah. all the time. Because to to think that your franchise always is going to hold you your feet to the fire and keep on, you on track all the time, it's not really the franchisor's job. You yeah. know, if anything, if a franchisor is do, having to do that for you, that should be massive alarm bells because it's like they're looking to exit you, yeah. right? That's yeah. it's like you're the wrong franchisee. So. It should be a case of, okay, this is a framework in which we work. These are, this is what you need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to keep moving this this model forward. And that's yours to manage. We've given you, we've trained you and we'll coach you and we'll check in. And a good franchisor will be actively involved in that process, checking in, right? Um, but a bad franchisor, in our view, is someone who is obsessed with churn. So yes, they just bring you in and kick you out, bring you in. Yeah, they want the the it's the guidelines, that's this is the rules of the game, do that. And here's the penalties if uh if you don't uh, apply to those things. And if they're not community minded as well, because we've always been really strict on that that we don't want kind of um competitiveness between the franchisees. Yeah, we'll well, work as a team. banter is fine, but yeah, we we all work as a team, you're all working together for the yeah. common good, as it were. Yeah, and so. yeah, and it's and that's been interesting, right? Because yeah. previous uh, franchise recruits that we've had, and um, we had, uh, we used to have uh, a franchisee that was very territorial, mm. just wouldn't participate yeah. uh, in the network or anything else. I mean, Which they're no again, longer with what us. A but... good manager would be. They would be very community minded. They exactly. would want their team to be cohesive. Yeah. So again, it, it's really dawned on me that that's the kind of person that you're looking for is someone that either has held or wants to hold a, a management type position. Yeah, yeah. Because so. the moment you're in, as a, as a business owner looking to franchise, if you are recruiting franchisees and they are 
they very much want to be led all the time, you are creating a massive rod for your own back mm-hmm. because because you are immediately taking the boss role, but you don't have a boss relationship with these people. Yes. You have somebody that's invested in a business model, yeah. and so you have you you have the potential for contention. Yeah. And and that's a challenge. So French, a lot of people have approached us in the past and said, "How do I franchise my business?" And we have coached people and given some guidelines around that because obviously we've got a few years' experience in it. Well, it is something that we are planning to put together as well, isn't it? Some something, some kind of. It's always been on the back burner yeah. with us, but some kind of product to help people with that. Because going back to the, your um, contact that has gone down the franchising route because of twenty twenty. I mean, she did not need to go down all these expensive routes. And that's what a lot of people think. Oh, I must have a franchise agent. I must get a solicitor to do X, Y, and Z. I must have this and that and the other. And you really don't need these things. Just just to put it into perspective, if you're in the UK and you're you're listening to this and you're considering franchising, um, the legal fees alone to get the contracts in play can easily go north of 10 grand before, Mm -hmm. before you blink. So you well, have a franchise be, agent will cost you twenty five. Yeah, and you don't need one. No, it's yeah. There's there's definitely better ways to do yeah. things. Um. So, um. And talking to other franchisors really helps. I mean, we know quite a few now, mm-hmm. and um, and because they they've had their bumps and bruises and yeah. recruited great and recruited badly yeah. and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, we, we've definitely talked a lot about, okay, we need to create almost like a franchise checklist. Like is yeah. your business franchisable in the yeah. first place? Yeah. 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 And Some yeah. And then, right. Okay. If you are doing a friend, if you are going to start going down the road of franchising, here's the minimums that you need to have in place before you yeah. start. How do you accrue? And, and there's franchises kind of for everything nowadays. I mean, uh, yes, there are some businesses that it wouldn't work for, but there's amazing amounts that would, I mean, we saw one recently for a funeral home. Yeah. I really never thought I'd see yeah. a funeral home franchise. Well, you get oven cleaning ones. Yeah. Which that blows my mind, right? Yeah. Well, that's, they've been around for donkey's years. Yeah. yeah. Drain cleaning. Yeah. Cleaning, cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose at the end of the day, you're buy- it's the business that you're buying, not the work. Yeah. It's the how do I get customers and how do I look after customers and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so franchising, we've got a lot of experience in and we've definitely had our knocks, 100%. We've, mm. um, uh, but... Um, fundamentally it comes to uh, recruitment like recruiting right at the beginning yeah um and um yeah and, and going from there but if you're looking at a franchise as a as a consumer it's before you before you part with any cash or even because be really reflective on what it is you want out of a business because mm-hmm. if you want free reign um to do what you like and or either well what opposite if you want free reign to do what you like and be really entrepreneurial and have massive control, don't buy a franchise because mm. that's that's not the way it works. Or if you want a boss, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be going into business. And if you are listening to this and thinking franchising is for you, um, then it depends when you're listening to this. But right now we do have franchise territories available in the UK. Oh, well, for Smiley Booth. Yeah, well, yeah. and Europe actually. Yeah. Um, especially in France. Oh uh, yeah, if you're if you have any interest in the events industry. And um, and and are curious about photo booth hire and events industry yeah. and smiley booth, 
um, then yeah, I mean, we're... We're not open at the moment. Um, this is December 2020 because yeah. of the way the world is. It wouldn't be fair for, on anyone if we took on franchises now. No. Um, but we are looking to recruit kind of probably February, March onwards. Yeah, we open the doors again for franchise recruitment for February, March uh, of 2021 yeah. onwards. Um, but uh, yeah, so... And if, you, if you're listening to this and you're equally, you're thinking, oh, I'm quite interested in franchising my business. Yes. Then... Um, as I say, we pro- at some point, we've said it for years, but at some point we will release a product on, on that because I think it's really important. But our contact details are on smilingentrepreneurs.com. So if you do just want to pick up the phone or drop us an email and ask some advice, we'd be happy to answer any questions. Yeah, yeah, that's as good. There you go. Cool. Episode 35. 35. There you go. <laughs> Have a good day, all. See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.